even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Welcome to this episode of In Between, recorded in Atlanta, Georgia. We're Holly and her family are visiting the Martin Luther King Museum and Park. And so it felt appropriate to play a portion of his I Have a Dream speech as the introduction and outro to this podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, Holly, good morning. Good morning. Tell me, where in the world are you? Hello, I am live from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, on the road, which is appropriate for the story that we're going to get into this Sunday, actually. And um, we've been on a road trip from Houston. We had to do a kind of 180 and decide real quick to to go to Tennessee first to see um, my nieces and my sister. And then drove on to Atlanta, where we are going to visit the MLK Center and Museum. And then my cousin lives here and I'll get to see her and meet her baby for the first time who was born over a year ago because of COVID. We didn't, we haven't met him yet. So, uh, and we saw Josh's brother last night. So we're kind of having a little bit of a family whirlwind and a civil rights tour of the Southern United States. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever been to the Lorraine Motel in Memphis where Martin Luther King was shot? I have not. I have uh, good friends who have done it, and um, and I don't think this is crossing any boundaries to say. Um, do Do you remember a man named George Parnum? Yes. Yeah. George Parnum was the man who was Andrea Yates' uh, lawyer, and mm-hmm. George Parnum at one time was going to be a, a priest. Anyway, he went to the Martin Luther King exhibit, uh, whatever it is called, um, and he said that he was walking through the exhibition and he was um, certainly moved by it. And he was also moved by the fact that he was the only Anglo in the in the exhibit that day and he felt so guilty and weird and odd mm-hmm. and all of that it was just it stirred up a lot in him but no I've, I'm yeah. not being I hear it's very moving it is really moving and what's almost chilling about it is that you walk through this kind of plaza and you stand in between the Lorraine Motel which is preserved exactly as it was on the day that Martin Luther King was shot. So you're standing in this plaza and depending on which way you're facing, but to my right is the balcony where he was shot. And to my left, you can see the window through which he was shot. And so you're holding in this space, these two tensions of this angry racist man 
who shot him and this visionary prophet, you know, who died because of his fear and anger. So the man who shot him was James Earl Ray? James, Is that yeah, the- James Earl Ray. Yeah. And, and what happened to him? Well, he was, he escaped and, but was found some weeks later, I think in Canada. And he was convicted of 99 years in prison. At one point he escaped prison and Ad was found again and put back in prison. And I believe died in a prison hospital, um, gosh, in 1998, I think, 1998 or 1999, I can't remember. But he did not um, serve all 99 years. He would have died in prison no matter what. I think he was 42 or 41 when he shot Martin Luther King. But, you know, I mean, it's just, um, and of course, we know that there's all these conspiracy theories about, or I don't even know if they're conspiracy theories. There are theories that the government was behind this. Some say that he acted completely on his own. Uh, You know, really that story has never fully come out, but um, Martin Luther King was probably either hated or loved by many people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so ironic. Um, I am reading a fiction book called The Evening in the Morning. Mm. Uh, by Ken Follett, which is a prequel to the three books he wrote about the building of the great cathedrals in in England. Mm. And this book starts in 998. And it's in England. And um, it talks about people having slaves then. Yeah. And And they were probably uh, poor Europeans. Yeah. 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 You could sell yourself into slavery. If you got in debt, you could be somebody's slave. Mm -hmm. And then um, I told you just before you left town, I got this book by Steve Patterson. Steve Patterson is the man who introduced me into the Gospel of Thomas Mm -hmm. years ago, years ago. And um, Steve Patterson uh, has written a book called The Forgotten Creed. And um, Holly, it's amazing that the first creed of the Christian church was in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And how in the world did we move from that clear affirmation of inclusion and equality to the kind of setup that we have today? It's just amazing. Right. It's funny you mentioned that. So I, I was a lot of hours in the car is conducive to reading if you don't get car sick and I don't. So, um, and Josh does all the driving, which I'm grateful for because I really hate driving. Um, <laughs> but So I've been reading a lot and I reread in preparation for this Sunday, a few things about sort of the the metaphor of the road. And I read, of course, Robert Frost's poems, The the Road Less Traveled. And, you know, the the road less traveled is the harder road. It's the one that requires more of us, that requires our wakefulness, requires our awareness. 
And it seems that Christianity did not take the road less traveled. Uh, we became our own tribe, right? Christians belong here, slaves, Jews, black, white, free, whatever belong over here. So it's just, it's, uh, it, it's interesting in mean, all these kind of thinking about, and then to face some of our own history, especially embedded in the South, um, as we're kind of doing this tour through the, through these states, we, we, we chose the mainstream road. We chose the road of division, duality, and, um, hatred, you know, and we're recovering from that as not just as a, as a country or as a region in the country, but as a species, I think we're, we're in this very long and probably painful period of recovery from thousands of years of dualism and division. Well, I think that what um, what happened when the church got in bed with Constantine hmm. was that people were taught to love the church and not Jesus or not yeah. be connected with sacred mystery as we would put it. And mm-hmm. so we began to value institutional belonging over everything. Mm-hmm. And we paid a price for it. What, what, what are your boys' reaction to what you all are doing? Well, um, we'll get into the thick of it today and then uh, Wednesday and Thursday, because we from here we go to Montgomery, Alabama, where the Equal Justice Initiative is that Brian Stevenson began. Um, when we were in Memphis, it was a, a brief first stop. Um, you know, they, they of course have some of the reactions of young kids. Do we have to go here? <laughs> but um, as we get there and we start talking about the stories and, and trying to pepper it with enough stops for, you know, treats and things like that, <laughs> um, they ask a lot of questions. And especially my middle son, he's such an inquirer and he asks a lot of questions about, well, why did James Earl Ray think it was okay to shoot Martin Luther King? Why was Martin Luther King there that day? Did, you know, I mean, just all these kind of questions. And I remember actually that we've been there before with the boys. And the first time we went to the Lorraine Motel and we were in this sort of hallway right outside of the room where Martin Luther King stayed, there's a kind of exhibit And you stand there and you can see out this big plate glass window and you're overlooking the same parking lot, the same plaza that perhaps Martin Luther King did April 4th, 1968. And I know that I got, and my kids are behind me. They were younger at this time, rolling around on the floor like puppies, just being little kids. And I just got this totally full body experience of weeping and chills because I'm standing there looking out across the way where I could again see the window where James Earl Way was and he shot Martin Luther King and but next to me is my black husband and my biracial kids mm-hmm. and you're going god in some way we're living out some very tiny small part of Martin Luther King's vision I mean I I, I want to be very clear and say his vision was not for uh, you know most often we quote Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech If I have a dream that one day black children and white children will be able to walk hand in hand, not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. 
that was like the ultimatum. What he dreamt of before that was how do we deal with poverty? How do we deal with justice? How do we deal with equity? How do we deal with integration? Because by the time he died, Josh and I couldn't have gotten married. It, wouldn't, it wasn't legal. So you're standing there in this moment and you're going, we're part of what he died for. Mm-hmm. And that's, whew, mm-hmm. you know. So you have been to the peace and justice thing before, right? Yes. Yeah. So this will be yeah. the first time for your boys. First time for the boys. And I'll be curious how it's because there's a lot of intense material in the um, Equal Justice Museum. And it's um, it's a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll just kind of hold that space gently, um, answer more questions. But it's, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a pilgrimage, right? I mean, we're, we're on a bit of a pilgrimage, so. So um, I want to talk about what's coming up on Sunday, but I also want to get your reaction to um, the dialogue I did with Jim Bankson. I was so glad I got to listen to it. I mean, there's two of my favorite old white men sitting in one place. (laughs) And I, you know, I I credit you so often with with, um, providing for so many a wisdom path and, and a path of inner belonging and outer meaning. And I think Jim, I've told you this before, I have at different points in my life been close to just writing off the Christian church. And one of those reasons was because um, when I was younger, when I was in college, a friend of mine and I were camp counselors together. And it was a, a religious camp. And she got sent home because she had come out as gay. And I thought, and that camp was kind of my formative experience with Christianity. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to stay in this religion. I, I, one of my best friends gets excluded because of, of something about her, <laughs> you know, and I was really ready to leave Christianity. So I remember really clearly hearing Jim talk about inclusion and how that sort of was a little light for me. Like, okay, Holly, don't write this off so fast. Don't leave. <laughs> Um, I wanted to, I really did. I mean, I even contemplated converting to Judaism. I mean, (laughs) there was a lot in my mind. I also was dating an Israeli Jew at the time, but, um, (laughs) nevertheless, I, I, so, you know, just to hear you guys talk is so, um, it's meaningful for me personally, because of what the gift that you two, I think have given St. Paul's and just Houston in general, but also it's just a pleasure to to listen. I love his mm-hmm. East Texas accent. <laughs> I uh-huh. love his way of telling stories. So, yeah. So we yeah. watched a documentary last night that I had recorded from the History Channel about the history of protest in America. Mm-hmm. And oh, wow. it's, 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 a, it's amazing. It's staggering. And what's mm. really amazing is looking back on the harsh and bad treatment that women have gotten before the yeah. women were given the right to vote, that Blacks received all through the civil rights movement and before, mm-hmm. um, that homosexuals, uh, the, that's what we called that um, the LBGTQ plus community then. Right. And uh, I mean, the, the vicious, vicious things that people like Joseph McCarthy did when he ran out of persecuting communists, he turned to gays. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. our country's got some really dark spots on its history. Oh, yeah. It's interesting, you know, so we just got to Atlanta last night and Atlanta is such a kind of hub, but it's past and present, right? And in Atlanta is, is where uh, Martin Luther King preached, where he was born and where his father preached and, you know, where uh, Warnock, Senator Warnock, who just got elected, also was a um, preacher at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And, you know, just being here right now in this moment, I just walked about half a mile from our Airbnb where we're staying to a little coffee shop. And I think we're in a neighborhood that is about 50% African-American, 40% white, 30%. Uh, I don't I just made it more than 100%, but <laughs> it's about 50%. So African-American and about 30 to 40% white and something else other. But it's, um, I just walking through these streets, I'm seeing a lot of murals that have sprung up probably over the last year, you know, um, murals um, calling for justice, murals um, proclaiming that Black Lives Matter, murals um, with, you know, different faces that we would recognize from high profile news stories over the last year and a half. And so I'm very aware that I'm in this city that has held exactly what you're talking about, the tension of protest mm -hmm. in its history. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Stacey Abrams is from Georgia and she has made such a huge impact on participation mm -hmm. in the last five years, you know? So or that we are still fighting these battles for voter participation and voter suppression. After the civil rights movement, we thought, oh, look, it's all better now, but we're still fighting these battles yeah. and the protests are still needed. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, want to tell you that I have probably written, I'm going to say 15 different introductions for Sunday and <laughs> thrown them all away. I oh, can't, really? yeah, I can't get into it because uh, it's so, um, it's so hard to talk about some of what I feel needs to be said without making people feel guilty or judged. Mm. Like the very things that we were talking about, about uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this theme mm. on walking the way of paradox and contradiction is because I wanted to contribute something to healing the horrible divide that is in our country. And although I don't think that it is, it is as much in a community like St. Paul's because we're pretty homogeneous about a lot of mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. but I'm sure it's there. Yeah. And um, I, I am, I'm, I'm not a chicken little person. I'm not crying that the sky's falling, but I have never been so concerned about the state of our country, the state of our democracy as I am right now. And I think that when Jim was asked the question Sunday by me, what, what living person do you most admire? And his answer was just immediate. Yeah, it, it was Barack just Obama. Immediate. Yeah, and he said, mm -hmm. he says, I'm not being political, but, and then he went on to state the reasons 
that mm -hmm. uh, he has this affection for an admiration for Obama. And uh, a couple of things welled up in me. First of all, a, a deeper appreciation for Jim. He's so articulate. He's so clear headed. He had this list of reasons that uh, he could just enumerate and click off one, two, three, four, five and go down the list. It was really, really impressive. Um, and, and I agreed with him about that. I think that one of the most admirable people that we have around today is Obama. And mm -hmm. Obama's concerned. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you want to listen to the voices. I, I, so I love Michelle Obama. I, I think she is just phenomenal and um, brilliant. Michelle Obama. Oh, yeah. Wife. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you want, you listen to these voices of people that you admire. And of course, when the voices of the people that you admire are concerned, your heart skips a beat, right? Um, it's, you, you said something about wanting to get into this topic without eliciting shame. And this is, I think, this hard part. This is the cave image, right? This is this is the the feeling to sit with. Is this feeling of shame and grief that we've either inherited or experienced? And I've I've been reading this book um, called Learning to Become White, and it is written by a black woman who is a Unitarian preacher, and it's really good because it's just very clearly lays out the sort of ways that she perceives that um, white Americans also have been racialized. And she gives some examples. She, go, she traveled the country for a couple of years interviewing white folks about their understanding of their own race and when they understood that they were white. And some people gave examples of um, when I was little, I'm remembering this story in particular, when I was little, I had a birthday party and my mom told me I could invite my friends. I invited my neighbors down the street to come over. And it's the second they entered the, the backyard, silence fell and looks were exchanged. And she realized, oh, I did something wrong. The kids she had invited were black. And the message was not spoken, but very clear. You did something wrong by inviting the black kids. And so that, that message that she got was one of shame. She felt ashamed. I disappointed my family. I disappointed people who I want their acceptance and appreciation. And I disappointed my friends because of the experience of, of their not being welcome. So in that moment, the, the little white child is faced with a decision. Do I choose the path of belonging, the road more traveled, mm -hmm. or do I choose my friends, which for a little child is almost an impossible choice because in, a little child needs to feel that they belong in their field of existence, which is more, most often their family. And if your family is giving you one message, but, the, but your heart is giving you another message, you're in conflict. And a child doesn't yet have the tools to hold that conflict. So her assessment is that the child internalizes shame. And that, that shame left unpacked, we then create adults who, when our children invite the children who are unlike the others, become scorned. You know, you see what I'm saying? So she's really inviting us to unpack some generational shame. There's no start 
or end to it. It's just something that has sort of quietly got passed down. What is it that you always say? The first six rules of a family are unspoken. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have this synchronicity experience where both of us bought this book. Both of us found the same passage in the book that we're basing the talk on that we're going to give on Sunday. And one of the mm-hmm. hopeful things is, is that the, the, the foundation of Meister Eckhart's observation is the conversion of Paul, which yeah. I've been reading about and I now understand is um, it's certainly Paul was transformed, but the story of Paul's transfer, transformation is a fictitious story. It's a great story, but yeah. it's like a parable, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many facets to it. I wonder if we can do it in one Sunday. Mm. I've already written like 2,500 words, just my thoughts just coming out. So I, I think we need a couple of Mondays. Well, why don't I just sit there and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, and, and then what? And then what? Uh-huh. Because I need you to add the biblical literacy and history part. I'll do that part. <laughs> But this is but this is the thing. Those flashes of light come to us in small and big ways. And th- so the part I've been thinking a lot about over the last couple of days is the road part. The being the going somewhere or going nowhere. Right. But but how to to both be aware that you're going somewhere, but also to be right here in the present moment. And that's what that flash of light is, is like that convergence of time to go. You got to imagine a future for yourself that you'll be proud of, you know, and then in this moment right here, you need to be right here. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, um, I, yeah, I've been thinking about the road a lot. One of, one of the most formative Buddhist texts I have mm-hmm. ever read in my life is a book entitled being nobody going nowhere going nowhere yeah you know the the passage right after the one that we're basing this talk on um it seems like this Meister Eckhart book is sort of chunked right and so we're in this section about nothingness and there is um there is this passage that I'll just read the middle part of it it says we need this inner eye to manage from day to day and moment to moment But the eye that really matters is the inner eye that beholds what is beyond change when you retreat from what is outside of you. You'll taste what true freedom means. Not that you will have no more troubles, but all of this will no longer bother you. So what do you do? Find the inner eye and learn to see your life entirely with it. The rest will follow. And that's that moment. That's the flash of light moment, right? That That we think maybe Saul got. We won't go too far into it, but that that inner consciousness, consciousness kind of come up, caught up with him a little bit. Maybe his conscience itself caught up with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there have been reams and reams written about this experience. Mm-hmm. And I can remember when I was in seminary in a graduate seminar that this story of Paul's conversion took like a three or four week period of time. Uh, and there have been all sorts of explanations and 
ways to try to interpret what happened and why it happened and this and that. But what we know is that it is um, kind of a repeat in a way of Jacob. Mm. Mm -hmm. Ah, my favorite story. It's your favorite story. But, you know, Jacob had a a wrestling match with this angel or spirit. And he got a new identity. And um, so that's what appeals to me about what Meister Eckhart is talking about. If the story is that we all are involved in what we're doing because we all hope for a growing awareness, a deepening understanding of ourselves and of sacred mystery that culminates in our being able to make a solid difference in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just for us. It's not just for our own head trip or spiritual massage. We have to make a difference in a world that's still in bad shape. Yeah. And also, I think the wrestling, both to nod to Jacob's wrestling with the angel um, and Saul's own wrestling with his experience, we all have a Jacob and we all have an Israel, we all have a Saul, and we all have a Paul, just right here inside of us. And just, you know, it reminds me of that um, indigenous story around the grandson asking or telling his Mm -hmm. grandfather, it sometimes feels like I have two wolves inside of me. One wolf is kind and makes good decision and the other wolf is cruel and makes bad decisions. Um, and the grandfather yeah. says, well, yeah. become the wolf that you listen to. Or the wolf that you feed. That's right. Yeah, the wolf that you feed. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So how are we feeding our lives? You know, how are we feeding our spiritual selves? And Oh, my I God, think that you're you bring s- up having a daily spiritual practice. Oh, I can't believe I was going there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they, they, I mentioned this to you uh, mm-hmm. as we've been working on this talk. It feels like for six months <laughs> to me. Right. But I mentioned to you that uh, I had this experience when I was at Union of uh, hearing um, a professor talk about this story of Saul's conversion, and he gave me an insight into it that I want to use when we do talk about it, either this Sunday or the next Sunday, we decided mm-hmm. to do it twice, mm-hmm. and that is that the, the, the community of Jesus' followers that grew up in the first 50, 7,500, 150, 200 years before there was any or, real organization, and there's a lot of diversity and a lot of inclusivity and, you know, a lot of persecution, hardship. Paul mm-hmm. Saul was giving these people a hard time. Um, and according to one of the stories, Saul held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. Um, mm. Those people who were in that Jesus community when they heard that Saul had been struck blind, they were overjoyed because mm. here was one of their enemy who had been done in. And yeah. yet one of their members got up and went to the house where Saul was and laid his hands on him 
And that took great courage for that member to step out of that faith community and do something radically different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, these moments, these kind of almost iridescent moments in history, what do we call these Kairos time? And that sort of pop up as pivotal or seminal moments of or symbols of the best of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them, going to your enemy and calling him friend. Jesus did that with Judas. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just how, who, who is it that we need to embrace as a friend? And I just think reading this book about the, the, by the woman who is a Unitarian minister, we need to embrace ourselves in that way. You know, I mean, this whole thing about you can love your neighbor as yourself maybe the most important word in that phrase is as yourself you can only Mm -hmm. love your neighbor as much as you love yourself of course we know this but how it plays out you know just the little ways that we get triggered are so often about our own sense of shame Um, Mm. I I got back what I was wanting to say, actually, just thinking about, um, you know, we can get really lost inside of what is the purpose of the spiritual, the way for me in this life, my soul, right? But to call on the, again, I think Native American wisdom is we must always be thinking seven generations ahead of us. What foundation, what path are we paving? What road less or more traveled by are we paving for future generations? Mm-hmm. I so want to make this place a better world for the future generations. So we'll talk also, Sunday, some about Judas. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Well, you just dropped that knowledge on me like a ton of bricks that maybe Judas was a false character or an imaginary character. Um, <laughs> So the first person that I heard articulate this theory was John Shelby Spong, who is a member of the Jesus Seminar and a very respected um, retired bishop in the Episcopal Church. He's spoken at St. Paul several times. He's a giant of a man, both physically, I mean, he's a big guy, and intellectually, he's written Mm -hmm. many books, and he's written most of the things he's written for what he calls the Church Alumni Association for people who've given up on organized religion and given up on Christianity and um, are looking for something else. In, in, in his book, he says that Judas is a fictional character who was created a, a, as a kind of metaphor for Judaism. I mean, his name, Judah, comes from that. Um, Spong, I mean, there's some people who disagree with that, but I will say I'll kind of echo what Jim Bankson said on Sunday. As I have done the work that I've done over the last 40 years, 50 years, I have come more and more to see the biblical writings as metaphors and and myths, meaning that they're truer than true, not that they're make-believe, but they're not they're not right. history historical accounts. They're stories that were created to convey a purpose. And I think that's true with the Paul story, just like it was true with the Jacob Mm -hmm. uh, story, you know, the, how, 
Oh, so Jacob didn't really wrestle a celestial being? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's, it's, this, it's the stories that yeah. grab us. Well, this is yeah. how we learn. This is how we learn. We learn through story and we share, we learn our history and we create our future with story. So we're hopefully participating that in a meaningful way. <laughs> well, right. have have a have a remainder safe trip. Yeah. And thank um, you. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. And um remember that I think, in my opinion, your trip will be much better if you remember that I wear an extra large and my favorite <laughs> color is blue. Okay. Got that. <laughs> I'm so grateful for and to you and I will see you very soon I'll see you Sunday I can't wait I love you love you too bye 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 be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice I have a dream my four little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character I have